This is the Lunar Lab Podcast with Becca Piastrelli and Maya Toll. Get the whole scoop from two friends in the trenches of conscious business as we try to balance our spirits and our spreadsheets without losing our minds. Join us for the sacred, raw, and very real lunacy. For show notes and extra tidbits on this episode, be sure to visit thelunarlab.com. Welcome back, lunatics. Becca and I are really, really excited because we're going to talk to you today about how to run a retreat. This is a topic a lot of people have asked us to discuss because I think that it feels really fun, maybe a little romantic. We've all been on amazing retreats and we want to be the woman who's at the head of that that show. So here's how this is going to go down. Becca and I have both led retreats and Becca is actually in the initial stages with her next retreat, which is going to be in Ireland. And she just got back from her scouting expedition. So we're going to walk through the beginning stages of planning a retreat using Becca's experience. Then we're going to hop on over because I'm in the final month before a retreat. I do a yearly retreat the weekend after Samhain or Halloween here in North Carolina. So I'm getting close to retreat time. So I have that kind of like, we're almost there information. So if you are titillated by this conversation and you think, well, I don't want to lead a retreat, but I want to go on one of your retreats. I have one spot left in my retreat and Becca has 11, 11, 11 spots because she's just starting to put the Ireland retreat out there. So whether you are a retreat leader or a retreat-er, we've got something special for you. Thanks for being here. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like this is Q&A. What, what's, can we start here? what's like the natural beginning question? Yeah. So Becca, for me, when I start to think about a retreat, the first thing I'm thinking about is where am I going? Whether I'm a retreat-er or a retreat leader, where am I going? And so Let's just talk about how you chose Ireland of all the different places you could choose and then how you started to narrow that search down. You know, planning an international retreat has a whole other level of complication because you're not there. (laughs) You you have to to get yourself there. So walk walk us through what this thought process has been like for you. Yes, well... For the past several years, when I did any sort of like long-term dreaming for my business, it was really clear to me that I wanted to lead international retreats to sacred sites all over the world. I would say it over and over again. It would scare me every time because I just felt so far from that. But I've had really powerful experiences in international retreats. I love traveling and it was it's an important part of my work. So... I, what can I say? I've had a really intense year of transformational experiences. And so my dreams have been really wild and informative. And so Ireland came to me in a dream back in April, maybe. And I was like, why am I, why do I keep dreaming about Ireland? I'm, I'm Scottish. I'm, I'm primarily Scottish. This makes no sense. And then I just found myself like yearning for Ireland, looking at pictures of Ireland, and then in like waking dream moments, daydreaming about it. 
And it just became very clear, you know, those moments of knowing where I was like, I'm supposed to take a group of 13 women to Ireland. And I started saying it out loud. And I was part of a, like a mastermind, a group experience of women on the beginning of the year. And I started saying it to them. I think I'm supposed to bring a group of 13 women to Ireland and it feels really scary and really intense. And I think I'm supposed to do it sooner. I think I'm going to do it a year from now in 2018. And it's really intense. And I had, you know, this, you know, I'm such a stand for sisterhood. These women are like, yes, do it. You can do it. And I said, well, I've never taken a group of women internationally. And I don't know what I'm doing. That classic, like, I have no idea what I'm doing. Therefore I'm not qualified. And a lot of women in that group had either, either believed in me enough or had done that, had planned an international retreat from scratch, so to speak, and just said, you can do it. Gave me a lot of tips. And the first thing one of those women did was connected me to a woman in Ireland who I just got back from seeing who does moon circles and ceremonies on sacred sites and retreats in Ireland. So that was like the first grounding step was to have a Skype conversation with this woman and to speak aloud that desire and for her to be like, great, I'll help you out. So I didn't feel so alone. Cause that's one thing that's really stopped me a lot in retreats. I have planned a lot of retreats. I have run far less than I have planned because I get, I would get nervous that I like, it would get overwhelming. And so that helped me be like, right, this can be done. It really, it's really not that difficult. The other person I talked to was you, Maya, <laughs> because <laughs> Because you lived in Ireland for a year yep. studying under Gina McGarry. And so I sent you a Marco Polo video text thing. And I said, I, this is what I want to do. I was really nervous to tell you. I was like, this is what I want to do. What do you think? Where, where should I go? What do you think? I've, oh, P.S. I've never been. <laughs> P.S. I've never been to Ireland. This feels insane. Yeah. And I kind of was like, this is insane unless you go put boots on the ground. <laughs> yeah, but you were really sweet and gentle with me, actually. <laughs> I knew you were thinking that because I was thinking that, but you were, you were just telling me this is a beautiful place. Try this, try that. This is what I feel. And we went back and forth for a little bit. And then also my coach at the time, Katina <laughs> looked at me and said, if you're leading this retreat, you have to go on a personal pilgrimage. There's no other way. And I was super resistant to her because I was like, that's expensive flying internationally. I don't want to do it. It was just resistance. Long story short, I figured out how to get there. And I went for a week last week when we're recording this over the autumn equinox. And it was, and I'm really glad I went because it has me in way more integrity with planning this retreat because I know, I mean, I'm not leading women to Ireland because I'm an expert on Ireland. I'm leading women there because I was called there and I'm part of this exploration with them, but I'm also holding space for them. So I just can't be that kind of coach that says, I want to travel here. Let's go and go with them. I really, because I'm holding space for transformation, for communion with ancestors, for deep work. And so it was important uh, for me to go there first, meet with these women I had been talking to and scout the location. And I'm so glad I did because I had like a list of 10 locations and the places I thought for sure were the venues were definitely not. <gasps> yeah. I'm talking dirty showers, weird, messed up history, you know, next door in the town next door, like bad energy, like whew, I'm, or the pictures did not reflect how it looked. 
So I ended up finding the perfect place that I hadn't even known about until I touched down in Ireland. Yeah. It was a really important part of my process. Yeah. So before we talk about like choosing the actual retreat center, I just want to back up a little bit because I think there's so many different ways to do retreats. And for someone who is leading like a business retreat and the idea is, well, we're, you know, entrepreneurs and we're going to take some time out of our business to work on our business. Let's do it in Paris. I don't think you need to go scout Paris. You know what I mean? Like I think, right? right? So I think that, that part of this is what you're doing. If you want to connect with the land and you want to bring people into relationship with place and with the spirit of place, then you need to know that you can tap in there. Mm-hmm. Right? Like showing up there and being like, oh shit, I can't ground here. Like this is this is not good. That wouldn't be a very good experience for you or for anybody else. So I, I'm not saying that everybody needs to go scout place. Totally, totally. Right. But I do think that if you are doing anything that has to do with lineage, that has to do with connection with land, with the place, with the sacred physical landscape, you need to know how you feel there. Well, I want to back up even further and talk about setting an intention for why you want to go on retreat and what you want to have happen there. Right. Mm -hmm. Because you're talking about a business retreat as one experience. There's mine, which is another experience. And really this started with visioning for me. I mean, I was, I was taking time to sit and for me, it's like playing a movie in my head, like really playing a movie of what I'm seeing. And this to me came in the dream world, but I continuously play this movie, especially when I get really wrapped up in logistics and sort of pop out of myself to be like, what is it I'm seeing? It's like experience curation, whether it's like sitting in a beautiful hotel suite, masterminding, looking at the Eiffel Tower with champagne in your hand, or it's like sitting in the womb of the mother on a sacred site that's 6,000 years old and like the green hills of Ireland and connecting in sacred sisterhood, like seeing it, envisioning it. That was really important because I watched myself try to rush to logistics because it scared me. It made me, I was like, who am I? All that stuff came up. And I had wise people like you, like my coach Katina, like these women of this group be like, slow down. Why do you want to go? What do you see? I created a Pinterest board. I just, I listened to Irish music. I I mean, I go deep. That's sort of my thing, but it's really helped me. And it's going to help me with sales copy. It's going to help me with all of that. And with describing it to the women when, whether they choose to attend, but it's really, it's intention setting mostly, right? It's like, why do you want to go? And what do you want the women to experience more than just like, it would be cool. Right. Yeah. Thank you for, for calling that up because I think that, I think that two things happen. Either people skip that step entirely or they get stuck in the daydream of that step and they never get to the logistics. Yeah, that was me for for a while, a few years ago. I've planned a lot of day retreats and short retreats here in my area. And I said, some of them never happen. And that's because the logistics scared me. And I thought, you know, oh, Oh, or I, I've had a few retreats that quote failed financially where I spent more than I made. <laughs> That's actually a common mistake for a lot of 
coaches, yoga teachers who are first starting out retreats is understanding expenses and pricing for profit. We can talk about that if you want in a bit, but yeah. So that kind of scared me and made me feel like, well, my dream is too big. I can't figure it out. I'd rather just stay over here and say someday, someday I'll do this like wonderful thing and and never figure it out. Right. So let's talk about like boots on the ground. You're looking at retreat centers. Yeah. I have some thoughts about this, but talk to me a little bit about what you were looking for. Well, I, like I said, before I left, there's a wonderful woman named Paula Orozco who uh, will include her website here. She's what's known as a retreat doula. And so <laughs> she's also a dear friend. And so I was kind of tripping out before I left, like, I'm not going to find the right place. I can't figure it out. And so she gave me this great advice, which was make the Pinterest board. And then um, actually I'll share the Pinterest board in the show oh, notes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. It's public. Um, and then make a list of non-negotiables. She called it the sacred list, but it was, it was like, what are the non-negotiables in the space? And so my non-negotiables were every woman has her own bed and that no more than three women share a bathroom and that it feels like a womb. It feels very soft and cozy and that it can hold you that it would had access to wild nature where you could have places of solitude where we could have fire outside uh, and that it was no more than an hour and a half drive to sacred sites. And I was like, clear, clear, clear. And I used that list. I needed to keep looking at because I'd go to this, I went and saw this castle, right? This old medieval castle that they turned into a B and B like so cool. Right. They had a Harry Potter themed bedroom, like so <laughs> cool. And they were really great. And I, this is just me. I get really wooed by experiences. And I was like, there's a private lake and oh my gosh. And there's a, it's a castle. And then I, I said, oh, well, this is the one. And then I took out my list and I was like, well, it definitely doesn't feel like a womb. People have definitely been beheaded here. Like this feels, (laughs) there's like many, many heads of dead animals all over (laughs) this, these walls. Like actually it's not a good fit. So that was really helpful for me. And also bathrooms need to be clean. I can't even tell you the disgusting bathrooms I saw. And I just, the thing is, is, you know, having been on retreats, I've been on like 15, at least I know what I really needed. And especially I'm just think back to retreats. I really loved, why did I love them? I liked having my own bed. I liked having places for solitude. I liked having a clean bathroom. I hated having a dirty bathroom. Like all these things really helped me see what I wanted to create. Yes. Yeah. And one of the things that I think is a big consideration when you're thinking about a retreat is the bed situation. Because in order to, first of all, get everyone in their own bed, because when retreat centers say how many beds they have, they count a queen or a king as two. Yes. Right. So they'll say sleeps 18. And then you look at the bed count and it's actually seven beds and two sofa beds. Right. Which is not sleeps 18 in my world. So looking at the bed count in terms of how many individual beds, because you really don't want to ask people who don't know each other to share a bed. And especially once we're not 14 anymore, we're all fussy sleepers in one way or another. We don't need to be sharing a bed with someone else. But then the next step is sharing a room or not sharing a room. 
Mm. And this is, uh, for me, I originally thought this was a price point thing. Like I originally was like, okay, you know, at the lower price points, you can share a room at the higher price points, you get your own room. Like that was my own preconception. And then I went on a very high end writing retreat where we shared rooms and I was like, wow, okay. Mm. And so for me, I, I backed up on that one and moved into what do I want the experience to be? And since just like Becca, for me, a lot of my experiences are about coming into community and doing this work in community. I was like, you know what? Actually sharing a room, not sharing a bed, but sharing a room is actually in alignment. And, and I, can, I can get down with that. And so I had a funny experience because the retreat center I chose had shared rooms, but I had a big handful of women who, some of them, in my mind, I call them professional retreaters. Like they go to a retreat once a month. Some, some of them came from a retreat to my retreat and they wanted their own room. And so I actually charged them as though they were two people to have one room. But what that did was it took my overall numbers down. It changed the feel of the retreat because a room that was supposed to be for two people was for one person. And so I had to make a decision the following year and kind of say, "Mm, you know what? The vibe of my retreat is that we share rooms. Mm. And if that doesn't work for you, you can get a, you know, a bed and breakfast in, in town and drive in every day, you know, or you can decide that this is not the retreat for you, but this is part of this retreat experience. And that was hard. Cause I actually, I lost some people. Really? Oh yeah. Hmm. I lost some people. I lost some people who there was this very funny thing that happened where not only did they want to use doubles as singles, but there are a bunch of women who wanted to choose their room of all the, like, you know, and reserve it for the following year. And they chose the biggest rooms, Hmm. which annoyed me to no end. Like I wasn't there, there in that moment, one of my assistants was taking down what rooms people wanted. And then maybe I did this subconsciously. I did not do this consciously. I could not find the list before the retreat of who had wanted what rooms. So I just let people choose their rooms. And I ended up with some people who were very angry. Oh yeah. Hmm. A year later, they, you know, did not have their exact room. And we're talking about a big old lodge in the woods. We're not talking about like someone being on the highway side or something like that. And I just realized that like, this is a choice about your retreats. How much do you want to cater to all these different individual needs? And I will cater till the cows come home to food allergies and to things that may make people sick and stuff like that. But I realized that I have not very good tolerance for, you know, I want the biggest room in the lodge all to myself. How many women do you like to have on that retreat? So we're usually somewhere around 18-ish. Oh, that's more than I thought you'd say. Yeah. It's a, it's a really big retreat center. It holds people easily. And 
I found that I just attract such an incredibly lovely group of women. Like we don't, we don't have any issues. You know what I mean? Like we're, we're, we are good at that size. We are happy at that size and it works. So. Yeah. This brings to mind something else, which is making compromises because, because you can get really caught up in your vision of like staying in a castle and everyone, (laughs) you know, or like you eat food from the farm or, I mean, these are the things I had envisioned where there's something's got to give usually, right? So it's like, maybe it's a beautiful retreat center, but you have to share it with another group that's on retreat. And so you each have your own meal table, but you're both having meals at the same time. Compromises, that's really real. Or maybe you just, you want to keep the price point lower. So you have to be really aware. You have to choose a retreat center that makes it so you can still make some money off of it. I remember when Nisha Moodley was my coach, when I was in a freedom mastermind, she, she said she's done over 50 retreats and she said her first several, she lost money because she just couldn't figure out how to price for profit. And this is when I realized the magic is that you work into your budget, the profit, the amount you want to make. Yes. Do you do that? Oh yeah. Well, okay. So here's how I do it. And we'll, I'll be interested to hear how you do it. I start with a spreadsheet and I, and I put down every single expense I can think of. So I start with what's the cost for, you know, one person's room for the amount of time. What is the food cost for the caterer? What is the food cost for snacks and for teas and things like that? What percentage of the housekeeping cost? Cause a lot of times places charge you a housekeeping fee per person. And I work through everything I can think of. Are we going to be using craft supplies? Okay. What's the cost per person for craft supplies? What's the cost per person for little, you know, gift bags that you give when people come in? Am I bringing help with me? How much am I paying them? Divide that out. What's the cost per person for that? For marketing, for right? So I do all of that. So I get a, a for real cost per person. Hmm. Then I say, how much do do I want to be paid for my time, not only during the weekend, but all the marketing that goes into it beforehand? How how much of my staff's time is going to be taken up with marketing, right? Because I have to pay them. I add all that up, divide it out per person, add it in. And then I pad it. I mean, I don't pad it by thousands, but I do pad it because what I always say to everyone on the retreat is after we're here... I want to take care of you exactly the way I want to take care of you. And I don't want to not, you know, put rose essential oil on your third eye because it's too expensive. Like we're not playing those games. Mm. Uh, you know? <laughs> so I don't do like luxury high-end retreats. There are not Godiva chocolates on everyone's pillow or anything like that. But I know how I personally like to take care of people. And I make sure that it's built into the budget that I can do that. And then that at the end, you know, at the end of the retreat experience, I, I've made enough money to, to feel like, Hey, I can show up again next year. Like, right. Like this is not something that's just eating my energy and not feeding it. Yeah. Two thoughts here. One is I realized in my beginning stages or my beginning days of doing retreats and events like day events, is how much I was leaning on 
expenses to like make up for my own insecurities about my ability to hold space. Like I spent so much money at the San Francisco flower market one year, like so much because I thought, oh, if I make it like a wedding, I will win their affection. Wow. (laughs) I share that because there's people out there who can relate like it's. Yeah. And, and to see as expense cutting, you know, keeping expenses low as really empowering, you know, and to trust, you know, choose a beautiful space that feels really good, but to trust that like the, the, what you bring is super valuable and you don't need to just have a lot of, you know, flowers and rose petal mandalas to make people feel like it's worth it. That's one. The other thing is, is I have a similar approach to the budget, but I do one thing one additional thing, which is I add up everything. And before I add in profit, I add, I add in 10% mystery cost. So I just take up all those expenses and I add 10% of whatever that equals then. So that's, I guess, when you pad it, right. That's my padding. That's yeah. And then I add in profit. That yeah. Way for the thing that it's not only the thing that you suddenly want to gift to everyone, like, Oh, I want to do it this way. It's also the thing you didn't think of. Yeah right? Because there's going to be something that you just didn't even think of, you know, like, oops, I didn't factor in for a couple bottles of wine or like whatever it is, there's going to be something that you, you didn't factor in. Oops. I forgot that the retreat center doesn't supply toilet paper, like whatever the heck it is. Trust me, it will be there. Totally. (laughs) Totally. And completely. Yeah. And you just don't want to be in a place where you're cutting into your own profit. That sucks. Yeah. Sucks. Yeah. Yeah. Also there are ways. So you and I are both doing retreats where we cover accommodations and food, but there are other retreats where it's like that people cover, like they find their own accommodations and maybe like just lunch is served and that's another way to do it. Yes. And I, I would say you're talking about two very different types of retreats. And I think that you and I both focus on community And so staying all in the same space becomes part of the experience. But sometimes what you're focusing on is giving people more of an adventure. And so then exploring spaces and having to make their own hotel reservations and things becomes part of what you're challenging people to do. So some of this is form follows function. What are you trying to do? What's the best way to get people to go through the set of experiences that helps that to come into being. The other thing that, that I think is important that we can like pull in here is food. Yeah. Right. So are you providing all the, all the meals? Are you providing lunch? And again, this comes back to what kind of experience do you want to provide? If you are talking about healthy living and you're not providing meals and you're in a place where people can't get healthy meals, that's out of alignment. Mm -hmm. Right. But if you're talking about exploring different cultures and you're in San Francisco and you can give people a list of restaurants from a gazillion different cultures and say, go have an experience, then that's in alignment and part of the experience. Um, So I think it's really important to loop that in. The other thing you want to consider when you're choosing your retreat center is whether or not they have like in-house catering or whether they don't. If they have in-house catering, you have to make sure that the in-house catering is in alignment with what you do. For instance, 
I was going to move to a different retreat center this year. And I found one that I really liked, but it was only in-house catering and it was vegan. Mm. My tribe is not vegan. I'm not vegan. And I literally, like, I was excited about the place and I went home and I called them and said, okay, so how many meals, you know, do you have to provide? And I was doing things like planning barbecues down by the river (laughs) off their property. And I was like, hold on a sec. This is crazy. This is, this is nuts. Like this is actually not in alignment for me to be like, I don't know that I'm going to be able to teach at my best because I'm anemic and I, you know, need a a dribble of, of meat here and there, especially when I'm working, that became that, like that became a deciding factor. So the place that I use lets me bring in my own caterer and the way we do it, which works really well for any of you planning retreats is we plan all the kind of like main dish. Like we do a one dish meal that's vegan so we, you know, we do like kitchery or lentils and coconut sauce. And, you know, we, we make that kind of the focal dish vegan. And then we have some kind of meat on the side and like a great big salad or soup or something like that. And then we have, again, gluten on the side so that if someone wants a chunk of bread, they can have it. And if someone's gluten-free, they can't. And so what that does is it creates lots of meal opportunities for everyone in the group. And it's worked beautifully well. People rave about the food. And I think a lot of what they're raving about is they're able to eat the way that feels good for them. Yeah. I So having just gotten back from Ireland and looked at six different retreat centers, I want to give an example of how I dealt with that. So it's two retreat centers that I'm comparing. Both say that they serve vegetarian, which is pretty common for like retreat centers that host, you know, yoga retreats and things like that. And so my common response is great. Is there a possibility to add in meat for people who really desire meat like animal protein? And so one of them responded like, oh, like so disgusted with me. And uh, lectured me on how vegetarian actually is what saves the planet. And I'm not judging in any way. It was just sort of like, I'm the client and I'm saying, like, is there a way to bring in really healthy, really respectful of the land, animal protein? I can, I'll pay extra for it. And it was just like disgusting. I was judged. I was, and, and then she said, well, if you want to go to the market and get a fish, you'd have to cook it outside. Like it was so like, pretty sure you just lost me. Like, I'm not going to do this. Whereas the other one said, yeah, we'll accommodate it. It'll probably be extra because it goes outside. And also our vegetarian food, people usually feel really full and all, all that great, but we respect if we can bring in some fish, we can bring in some, some grass-fed meat, like we can do that. And I was like, thank you. I choose you. <laughs> I yes. choose you. Yeah. Yeah. That's the way I felt with this other retreat center was that I had to step into their worldview in order to use that center. And I realized that it's hard for me to hold space for my worldview, which is what people are stepping into, right? I'm holding the space um, if I'm contorting myself into someone else's worldview. So yeah, I think Becca, like that was such a clear sign for you, which, which place was in alignment. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I want to know more about the support you bring on your retreats. 
So I bring, I, okay, I, let me back up. I do my retreats about 20 minutes from, from Asheville. So I'm on home turf, right? I'm not flying people around. What I do is I bring, I, I'm, I'm also incredibly lucky. So we have a woman who works at our herbiary in Asheville, our store in Asheville, who is a professional wedding photographer. She works for us part-time. She's a professional wedding photographer. She does all my pictures for my website. Oh. So I needed to choose from amongst our staff to say to someone, I'd like you to come to the retreat as my helper. And I chose her the first year. And she's become an incredible partner. Like now it's just, it's just Emily. Like that's just who it is. She's become an incredible partner in this because now we've been doing it together for a couple of years. We set up a little, uh, like a little pop-up shop where we bring things from the store. And I actually shop special for beautiful crystals and things like that, just for my, for my gals, for my women. I love that. So, um, so we set up a little pop-up shop and and she knows how to do all the store stuff. She knows how to pull it out of stock at the store. And, you know, we have to do all the kind of back-end work to make that flow well so that we don't have a great big mess after the weekend of where did all this money come from. And she takes pictures, right? So she's my photographer. She helps with the store stuff. She helps with the entire retreat. So I ha- have Emily. And then the other thing that I've been doing is I would have like an intern who I would charge half price. Yeah. Who would then be my go-to person. And my intern now actually works for me. After being my intern for a couple of years, she said to me on retreat last year, don't you have a job for me? <laughs> and I and I was like, let me think about that. Like, yep. So so for those of you who work with me, that's Shannon. And mm-hmm. and she's been amazing. So she'll be there again this year. Um so I I bring a lot of support because if I go into stress mode, I'm prone to get a migraine. Mm. And if I had like six or seven people, I actually, when I've had six or seven people, I don't even bring help. Like when I have a small retreat, I don't even bring help. But at the numbers that I'm at, I just can't have that many people coming at me with like all the little problems that happen over the course of a retreat you know, whether a toilet gets clogged up or whatever, like I I can't teach and hold space and the way it multiplies, the way everything multiplies when there's just more people. So I I need the support. When I do like my little business masterminds where it's five or six of us, I don't bring anybody. I do those alone. Yeah. I, one thing I've really picked up on from both attending and leading retreats is especially if you're doing deep work um, and there's like emotional release happening and you've got to really be in a a place of holding space and staying grounded. uh, It's just really hard to also be the person you have to go to for like little issues, like where's the nearest ATM and you know, I'm not feeling well and there's this issue with my roommate or whatever it is. Like it really needs to be separated. And I know that in my beginning days, I was really resistant to paying money to someone to support me. And there are ways to do it, like have an exchange for half price or for the full ticket for someone. Uh, But to really know that 
I mean, holding space for retreats, like I need like a couple days afterwards to come down. Like it's a big thing energetically and physically. It's a big thing. And, and it does know. multiply with the, with the amount of people. I mean, if you are truly holding space, I mean, just think about this. Like think about how many apples fit in a basket. You know, as you get more apples, you need a bigger basket. And so as you get more people, you have to become a bigger basket. Like you're holding literally more space. So you you have to give yourself support for that. That's also why I like to like have a room that's a little bit separate if possible and like leave the night early resist, resist the urge to stay up and giggle and be a part of it. And just be like, I actually need a really good night's sleep and I need alone time. You know, I need to just recharge for the next day. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I have not done, but I have considered doing, and for those of you who want to run really big retreats, because I've been on some big retreats where I wished that someone had thought of this. You might want to bring someone whose job is to hold space whose job is to maintain the sacred space. And so, for instance, at the Southeast Wise Women's Conference, they actually like have someone, they have two someones. They have someone who maintains like the perimeter space and they have the firekeeper. And those are sacred jobs to allow the person leading the, the retreat not to have to hold the space as well, because it's a lot to do. Yeah. And so it separates out the jobs a little bit. And, you know, if you can energetically lean into someone knowing they've got the space. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. Yeah. I've been to some big retreats that have not done something like that. And the space can get really mucky. Oh, as have I. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've had some, like the energy go awry. Oh yeah. So have I. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's, you know, it's, really important if you're, if you're doing energy work to consider that. Yeah. And I'd say energy work is, you know, yoga and any kind of shamanic work and any kind of deep self-development work. That's all energy work. The energy's moving. You need someone who senses energy and can really just, you know, ground it and hold the circle and clear the space and keep it that way. I would argue that's needed on a business retreat too. <laughs> <laughs> it wouldn't be, it wouldn't be a bad idea. Yeah. A bad idea. Yeah. I, I find myself oftentimes in group situations just being like, I got to ground the space because it feels icky to me. So yeah, it's just needed, but you don't want, like, you don't want someone like me as a participant taking it on themselves, right? Because if I'm grounding the space of your retreat as a, as someone who's participating, I'm not doing my own work. Yeah. But you will have empaths in your group. If you're not doing it, they're going to do it for you. Right. Yeah. I've been that before too. (laughs) Do you want to talk about personality types of retreat? What, 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 What would you like to say? It sounds like you have some place you want to go with this and I don't know what it is. I was thinking about introverts. I was thinking about, and, you know, 
I think there's some, there's been greater discussion about just identifying yourself as one thing like introvert or extrovert, but in this, like I derive energy from being in groups, right? So I love leading space, leading retreats and holding space. And then at the end of the night, I have to go and be alone to recharge in that way. And you and I were talking beforehand and you said, if you're an Uber introvert, you probably shouldn't be leading retreats. But I'm wondering if that's true. Maybe you just need to lead a really small one. Well, I think it's, you know, I think words fail us in some ways with, with, with this, because like you just said, it's not all one thing. Yeah. Right. I mean, some of my friends who are Uber introverts have panic attacks mm-hmm. when they're out in the world or really can't express themselves verbally. Mm-hmm. Um, retreats are not going to be your best right. thing. I mean, some of this is what do you want? Like it's going back to the intention, right? What do you want to do? What do you want to accomplish in the world? What's the best form to accomplish that? And right. So I think if you look at that, then you'll know whether the retreat is the best form. And then you need to check in with yourself and see if it's something that really is going to make you happy. If it's not going to make you happy, I don't care if it's the best form. Don't do it. Like the last thing we need is grumpy retreat leaders. Yeah. And you don't have to do a retreat. I feel like our yoga teachers out there need to hear this. Like you don't have to. That no, is for sure. Hell no. I think that, that the other thing that we have to keep in mind, it's the personality of the retreat leader, but it's also the personality of the participants. And I think one of the biggest mistakes that I made when I first started leading retreats is I thought that people were coming for the information. Mm-hmm. And I thought that people were coming because they wanted to be like jam-packed full with lessons. But what a lot of people want is to retreat. And so I think that you need to make a difference in your brain between a retreat and like a weekend workshop mm-hmm. or a teach-in or an intensive. Be very clear in your language what you are offering. If you're offering a retreat, people want to retreat. They want some quiet. They want some space. They want some alone time. They want to climb up into the mountains with their journal and have two hours and not be looking at their watch. And so people will choose what they want to participate in based on their personality, based on what they know of themselves. So be very mindful in your language that you are describing what you are actually creating. I think that's so true. It can be really tempting to just pack it full to make it worth their while, quote unquote. Yeah, but truly the best retreats I've gone on have been the most spacious ones. Yeah. Yeah. I'm curious about how you enroll. Do you have like a application process or is it just you buy your spot? At this point, my women sign up at the end of the last retreat for the next retreat, I have very few spots open any given year. Like Mm -hmm. we only have, we have one spot open this year. We were sold out. And one woman asked us multiple times if we could find another spot because she wanted to gift her best friend a retreat spot for the other woman's birthday. Mm -hmm. And it was like such a sweet thing. And she asked multiple times. It wasn't like a just, you know, whim on her part. So 
the retreat center that I, that I use has like some out cabins you can rent. So I rented an additional space so that we could allow her friend to come, which then opened up a space. Mm. All this to say, I don't have a big process because at this point I have people from my groups, you know, like signing up beforehand. There's already talk of my 2018 retreat, like people who have not been able to come in or come to a retreat who are in my groups are already saying, can we sign up for 2018? And I'm actually going to open it before the retreat so that those people have a chance to come in. So, you know, these women is what you're saying. Yeah, I guess, I I guess bottom line at this, at this point is they're part of the medicine keepers community. They've been witch campers. I don't even have a sales page really for it anymore. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not, people are always like, can I look at it on your website? I'm like, no, (laughs) like, I think I'm going to do applications for Ireland. You'll know by the time this comes out, if I chose to do that or not, but yeah, just because it's such an intimate, deep experience. And I've been thinking about that, about the participants what they're bringing their intentions, you know, what their expectations are and to getting clear on both sides, why they're coming. Yes. Which I think is brilliant. Okay. Then I'm going to do it. (laughs) No, I think it's brilliant. We actually have, have created a little application for the medicine keepers because I feel like, you know, in the beginning it was like, just come. But now it's a community that's been together for years and there's such a lovely, easy feeling in there. And I want to protect that by yeah, making right. sure that the people who are coming in are really coming in like aligned and understanding what they're coming into and they're not confused because it's a really gentle, flowing, loving group and they welcome people in so beautifully. And I, I want to respect them. I want to make sure that, you know, when they get all excited about new women, those women are excited back. <laughs> yes. 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 Very important. Yeah. So I'm, I'm all for the application. I think that it helps people to think about what they want. Yeah. And what they're, I mean, it starts the process already. They set their intention right then and there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think it's good. So ready to segue? Yeah. Yeah. Rapid fire. Okay. You're looking at me like, I don't have a question. So I'll, I'll, I'll question okay. you. Okay. Talk to me about a retreat experience that has been really important in your life and, and why. Hmm. Where I attended. Yeah. Or where you led what, I mean, whatever, like whatever speaks to you right in this moment either. Okay. It's when I attended in Costa Rica, uh, Nisha Moodley led it. And it was the beginning of this nine-month container, a mastermind with a group of uh, 18 women. And I think she was so smart to kick off this nine-month experience with an in-person immersion in Costa Rica, Uh, especially because this retreat was a lot about sisterhood. And a lot of us were new to sisterhood or had stuff around it or whatever. And so because she has I'm just going to love on Nisha right now because she has led so many retreats. She's really masterful of the curation of the experience. And so I just remember from, I was really nervous because I was like, this is good. I'm going really my first international retreat. Spending first time really spent a good chunk of change for something like this. And I just knew some major transformations were going to happen. So I was really nervous and we did intention setting and a call before we went 
And that really helped. And then when we landed, every moment there was so beautifully held. And it was like, we were given space, but there was always an understanding of like, what comes next? I was given a schedule and then I was always reminded what's coming next. So like the anxiety just left me and I could really land. And it was, and then we had really deep experiences in circle where a lot of us, that was really one of my first deep dives into sacred sisterhood where we were sharing things we had never shared with women before. And it just felt so safe and so yummy. And then you know, we'd go like on a moonlight swim and then we'd have delicious food and then we'd sleep beautifully. And, and it was a week, but it felt like a month, like time shifted there. I really felt the slowing down of time and I'll never forget it. And I've gone on many more retreats with her to Bali, to New Mexico, and they've all felt different, but they've got that similar energy. And so I've taken that as something really valuable and beautiful that I've experienced that I hope to do in my own way in Ireland in future retreats is this ability to slow time down, which is just really powerful. You know, I just want to call out something you said, because I think that sometimes when we talk about mystical experiences and slowing time down, we slip into our artistic creative self, not into our structured self. But what you said was, I felt safe because I always knew what was coming next. There was a schedule and I knew what it was. Yeah. And so I just want to call that out because I think that that's so important. This, you know, in creating the mystical experience, you have to create the container and the structure And that if you neglect the structure, people don't feel safe enough to have the mystical experience. Completely. I think it's such a good, a good call out. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It was really good. Highly recommend it. Okay. You ready? I'm ready. I'm going to do the opposite end. A retreat experience, either attended or led that you found really challenging or frustrating. Yeah. Yeah. So the first shamanic retreat I went on, the space was not held well. And there were, I think, like 49 of us learning shamanism, hmm. you know, and- 49 um, a lot. It was a big, it was a very big group. The space was not held well. She had lots of assistance, but the assistants were not focused on holding the space. The assistants were like running around helping individual people. And before we knew what we were doing, we were put in pairs and told to work on each other. So there's just so many levels of potential mess there. Mm. And for me... It was a, it was a mess. I mean, it, this was actually the experience that triggered years and years and years of migraines. Oh, like I had the first one there, literally dry heaving in the bathroom, and you know the assistants deemed that the best thing would be to take me to the fire um, because in this tradition you give things to the fire, and so like they they dragged this migraining person to this bright fire, crazy Mm -hmm. empath surrounded by 49 people who didn't know how to control their energy and no one really holding the space. It was a nightmare. Mm. 
It was a nightmare. I mean, it's <sighs> funny because, you know, they always say that like, like hell has fire images and my personal hell now has fire images because oh. I see that fire in my mind's eye. It took me many, many years to undo that experience. Mm. How long ago was that? That was 16 or 17 years ago. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty intense. It was pretty intense. And it was, um, this is the thing that concerns me the most, you know, Becca's heard me talking about like baby shamans and baby witches jumping in. This is the thing that concerns me the most because I think that when you haven't yet traveled deep into the other realms of the mystic, you don't know what to expect when someone goes there. And so if you have a student who goes there and you can't work with it, that's, that is the thing that scares me. I not scares, scares is the wrong word. That's the thing that actually hurts my heart because someone's going to get hurt and someone's going to, you know, spend time recovering from that experience and they'll learn from it. I mean, I learned tons. There are just kinder and gentler ways to learn. Yeah. So that's, that's, it's interesting. I really do feel like the symbols of the collective unconscious, the ability to tap into the collective unconscious, like you hand people that they learn so much right away. So it's interesting because I don't feel like teachers have to be intensely skilled themselves, which is kind of cool, right? Mm-hmm. Like if I, if I hand you a box full of archetypes, you can learn from them, whether I know anything about archetypes or not. And yet, if you start having really deep or unusual or out of the ordinary experiences that someone doesn't know how to teach to, Mm -hmm. doesn't know how to hold space for, doesn't know how to walk you through. And this has really come up for me because I've spent time kind of helping women in shamanic recovery in the past year, you know, really having to help break down the calcified soul wounds that happen Mm -hmm. when people have these experiences. Yeah. Yeah. So that's. Yeah. I mean, I'll just say I agree (laughs) because I, I was on a retreat pretty recently where, yeah, it was not held well. And there was, there's been some lasting byproducts from that that are really unfortunate. Yeah. There's backlash. There's backlash. And I think there's backlash when like, you know, the cycle that happens is the same exact cycle that happens in any argument or conversation or debate when someone realizes that they did wrong, but they can't own it. Mm. Right. So it's like the person leading the retreat or doing the work is seen as the teacher And when the person who had an ill effect goes to the teacher and says, oh my God, this happened and I feel horrible and I have, you know, physical pain or headaches or I'm scared now. And 
you know, and the teacher goes in their own heart, oh shit, I fucked up. And they get defensive. Mm. Right. Then the, the wounding just starts multiplying. And yeah, I mean, I think that's like for all of you out there, if you are ever in a position where you are leading a retreat or you are teaching or you are working with something with someone and something goes wrong and you feel in your heart that like, yeah, you didn't do it right. Just own it. Hmm. Let that person step back into their power because what they have is a loss of power. They have a power leak. And when you say, yeah, I screwed that up, then they get to say, that was my intuition. That's what I felt. And they get a piece of their power back. So the first thing you can do is let them start taking their power back by owning your mistake. Being human. Yeah. Because after you own your mistake, they don't keep turning to you as the guru, Mm -hmm. right? They can walk with you and you can figure it out together. You can send them to a different level of practitioner, but until you own that mistake, they're in Mm self-doubt. That person is not sure. They're They're like, maybe I don't know enough. Maybe I did it wrong. Maybe I fucked up. As soon as you say, here's what I think went wrong. And I am so ridiculously sorry. They get some power back and then they can start to heal. Mm -hmm. Super important. Yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Super important. You know, I think as a piece of this retreat thing. Yeah. So that's an intense place to end. (laughs) (laughs) On that note. Yeah, if we didn't cover in everything that you're curious about with retreats, we're happy to answer more. Uh, why don't you leave a comment on the episode at thelunarlab.com? And yeah, we're happy to answer any other questions for sure. Yeah, please. We'd love to help if we can. Yeah. So thank you for being with us. Who's going to end this? <laughs> Joining us for another episode of the Lunar Lab Podcast. Thank you, everybody. See you soon. See you soon. Hey, Lunatics. Becca here, and I've got a favor to ask of you. We're looking to get the Lunar Lab in the ears of more soulful, conscious business owners like yourself. And the best way to do that is to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. So if you haven't done so, simply open iTunes, search the Lunar Lab Podcast, click subscribe, and leave us a review. We'd really appreciate it. Thanks, guys.